Church, if you would turn in your copy of God's word to Luke chapter one. I'll be reading this morning from Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 38. give our attention now to the reading and the hearing of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it for us. God, through the ages that we might have it this morning, thank you for giving us ears to hear. Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts through not only the reading of your word, but the preaching of your word. Teach us and train us, correct us, rebuke us for righteousness sake. Oh God, make us more like Jesus. Increase our faith and encourage us, oh God. Strengthen us, help us to stand. Lord, I pray that you would help me, your servant. Oh God, protect me from error. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you, oh God. You are our rock and our Redeemer. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The year was 1965, and a young boy was placed on a northbound train in Boston by his parents. And he was put there because they were sending him north to spend a couple of weeks with his grandparents. Once he got settled into his seat in his car, he took out his Bible and he began to work on a piece of paper a piece of paper that had been given to him by his Sunday school teacher. 
Well, across the way from him, there was sitting a young know-it-all seminary student. Taking notice of the young boy with his Bible, the student asked him about his assignment. What are you doing there? And the boy said, I'm working hard to get to know God better. Impressed with the answer, the seminarian got an idea. He pulled a coin from his pocket and he said, hey kid, if you can tell me just one thing that God can do for you, I'll give you this shiny quarter. Smiling and not skipping a beat, the boy turned in his Bible to Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, and he read these words from Jesus. With God, all things are possible. He then said to the know-it-all seminary student, sir, if you can tell me something that God cannot do, I'll let you keep that quarter. Some theology there, isn't there? Theology that we're met with in our passage this morning. In fact, it's exactly what the angel Gabriel emphasized to Mary there in verse 37. Do you remember? Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. God, because he is God, because he's sovereign, he's in absolute control over absolutely everything. He has absolute power over everything that he's created, including young Mary's virgin womb. The very womb that will carry God's one and only son, our savior, Jesus Christ. The womb that will carry him until he is born in Bethlehem. This morning, I want us to consider together not only what the news of the virgin birth meant to Mary herself, but what it means to each and every one of us sitting here this morning. To guide our study of this passage, I've outlined the sermon very simply, and it's simple because it's in accord with the dialogue that's presented to us in the text. So if you're taking notes, I'll go ahead and give you all four points up front, and we'll look at it this way. First, Gabriel's greeting. So first, we'll look at Gabriel's greeting. Second, we'll look at Gabriel's announcement. Gabriel's announcement. Third, we'll look at Mary's question. Mary's question. And fourth, we'll look at Mary's response. Gabriel's greeting, Gabriel's announcement, Mary's question and Mary's response. You can find Gabriel's greeting in verses 26 through 28. There we're told very matter-of-factly that Gabriel was dispatched. He was sent out, right? He's sent out from God, not to Jerusalem as we saw before, but this time he's dispatched from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin girl named Mary. The text tells us that Mary is betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and Joseph was of the house of David. When you read this, it is doubtful whether Gabriel could have found a more unlikely person to greet anywhere in Israel. You see, Mary was among the lowly of Israel. Mary was very young. History tells us that the common age of betrothal in this time was somewhere around 12 or 13 years old. Betrothal was a contract. It was a pledge. It was a pledge obligating a man and a woman to be married 
roughly about a year after it was instituted, roughly about one year. And during this time of betrothal, the woman would even be called wife, very common to call her wife, even though their marriage would not have yet been consummated. Any violation of this engagement pledge of purity was as serious as adultery. So here is Mary, a young girl, very young girl, poor, uneducated peasant living in a small country town, betrothed to some guy named Joseph, considered by the world likely to be a reflection of what the apostle John tells us in his gospel account that people were apt to say of that town, Nazareth. You remember? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Pastor Kent Hughes, in his commentary, he summarizes Mary well. He says it this way. She's a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Mary was certainly among the lowly. But Gabriel's arrival and greeting reminds us of something very important. God's grace is for the lowly. God's grace is for the lowly. For, for Mary receives the greatest honor that any woman could be given. Notice he comes to her and he says, greetings, O favored one. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. You see, Mary is in for a big surprise, right? The angel shows up to her. He's going to tell her that she's been chosen to be the mother of Jesus. She's essentially being told that who you are, where you're from, who your family is, all of this is part of God's plan. It's part of God's sovereign, eternal decree. By choosing her, God was beginning to give us a glimpse of the glorious picture of the humiliation that his son would have to endure for the salvation of his people. For Jesus to rescue us from our sins and to lift us to glory, he first had to humble himself to enter into the very misery of our lost and fallen condition. So while many may have accepted him to show up in Judea or Jerusalem even, no, he shows up in Nazareth. So Gabriel's greeting highlights this grace. It puts a spotlight on this grace that God is showing to Mary. Mary has received grace. That's what that means. He's, he's saying, Mary, you've been, you've been given grace by God. God has shown unmerited favor. That's what grace is to lowly sinners. That's what we see in Mary. So even when we might feel as small and insignificant, when we may seem overlooked by the world as someone like Mary may have felt, even in her own condition, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is most certainly for us. God is for us. His grace is indeed for the lowly. For years, uh, members of the Dalit caste in India, and if you know anything about the caste system in India, you might know that the Dalits were the lowest of the castes in that social system. They were the bottom of the ladder. 
In fact, the Dalits were considered to be so impure that their touch or even their shadow was said to pollute other groups in the Hindu social order. They were untouchables. In fact, because of this belief until not too long ago, it was justified to expel Dalits from all public life. Just kick them out, get rid of them. But that didn't stop Christians. It didn't stop Christian missionaries from bringing the gospel to the Dalit people. In the 1980s, and it continues even to today, there's been a revival among the Dalit people. The gospel of Jesus has come to bear on their lives and many are turning from the false religion of Hinduism to the true religion of Christianity to the only way to God through Jesus Christ. And now it's estimated that the Dalit people make up the majority of the Christians in the nation of India. And they still face persecution. Add to everything else, now they get persecuted for their faith in Christ. You talk to them and you find that they've found personal dignity and eternal hope because of grace in Jesus Christ. Earlier this year, I was speaking with a Dalit Christian and he put it this way. Through the gospel, I now feel human. Jesus came to die even for someone like me. God's grace is indeed for the lowly. It was then and it is even now. Well, moving on, Mary's subsequent response to Gabriel's greeting shown in verse 29 is not really surprising. We saw it last week with Zechariah. Look what it says. How does Mary respond? She's greatly troubled, right? She's greatly troubled. Wouldn't any of us be greatly troubled? Going about your business on a normal day and now comes Gabriel, the angel, to come talk to you. She's troubled, but now he's saying the things that he's saying. She's troubled. Wouldn't we struggle to discern what this greeting might mean? Why is he telling me that I'm favored? Why is he here? Well, look what comes next. Gabriel's announcement. Gabriel's announcement tells Mary exactly what's to happen. You can see it in verses 30 through 33. I want you to notice that it begins with reassurance. Gabriel comes to Mary with good news. He wants Mary to rest in the promise that God is bringing, to know that, that God is visiting her by his grace to do something completely wonderful. He's visiting her to fulfill what he had promised so long ago through the prophet Isaiah. If you have your copy of God's word, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Look at verse 14. This is a familiar passage to many of us. We at least hear it at Christmas time. But this promise would have been known to the Jewish people. They would have taught this promise to their children. I picture even young Mary growing up learning the law of God and the word of God and probably hearing this promise over and over. What is it? Look at 714. This is the sign of Emmanuel. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name God with us. Shall call his name Emmanuel. It's exactly what Gabriel tells Mary. She will conceive in her womb and she will bear a son. And she is to call this son by the name Jesus, which literally means God is my salvation. God has come to save us. God is with us to save us. He then goes on to say that Jesus will be great and that he will be called the son of the most high and God will give him uh, the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Can you just picture Mary at this point? (laughs) Whoa, there's a lot there, right? That's a lot to take in. And just think about everything that's packed into that statement for a moment. First, in the Old Testament, whenever the word great is used without qualification, his name will be called great. It almost always refers to God himself. So this baby is called great because he is God. Second, most high was a a favorite expression of David when referring to God, particularly throughout the book of Psalms. And now this baby is being referred to as the son of the most high. You see, he is indeed the son of God. This is a statement that points to him being the second person of the eternal Trinity. And lastly, Gabriel reveals that this baby will rule in majesty, sitting on the ancient throne of David. This is a a clear and unmistakable reference to him being the, the promised Messiah, the one who would always sit on the throne of Israel. That's a lot. That's a lot of theology. It's a lot of redemptive history packed into this one statement. And Gabriel pronounces it to Mary. The whole thing reminds me of those times. If you have children, you'll know what I'm talking about. They come to you, they they make like this crazy statement and then just go on with whatever they were talking about before or whatever they were doing, like what they said didn't happen. Have you experienced this? Uh, Hey, dad, I just happened to crash the car through the garage door. But did you know that the bills are playing tomorrow? Wait, what? Okay. That's kind of what I feel like is happening here. This big statement, and then he just continues on. And you can actually see Mary feeling a little bit like this. I think Mary's like this in verse 34. Gabriel's announcement is full of wonderful theological and redemptive historical truth, truth that even forms Mary's song that we see later in this chapter. But Mary appears to be stuck on the announcement. She appears to be stuck on the beginning of the announcement, the very beginning. What does she say? Okay, but how can this be? This is her question. This is our third point this morning. Mary's question, how will this be? Hey, Gabriel, let's talk just logic. (laughs) How can this be since I am a virgin? How is this possible? I love her childlike faith here. I have to remind myself year after year with this story that this is a very young girl, likely the same age as my daughter. And this question... (laughs) This question, how will this be? I want you to notice though, her question is not what or why, but how. That's why I call it childlike faith. 
Okay, okay, I accept, but, but how? How? As I said before, she likely knows the promise of Isaiah 7:14. She likely knows that the promised Messiah is coming. She obviously believed uh, that God would do what he'd always promised to do. But listen, all the knowledge in the world is not enough to explain. It's not enough to explain. Logic doesn't work here. It's not enough to explain the miraculous pregnancy that has been announced to her. Mary doesn't appear to be concerned with what or why. But like most of us, she's concerned with how, how. Mary understands, Gabriel is saying that this child would be conceived before she got married. How? Mary's faithful. She's saving herself for marriage, preserving her sexual purity as a prize, the way godly people were called to do and are still called to do. She's betrothed to Joseph. Not married yet, just betrothed. So they're not having relations yet. So how would she conceive a child in her womb? How? How? Look again at Gabriel's answer. Look at verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Muslims blaspheme the Christian faith and say that God impregnated Mary. That's blasphemy. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that this conception will be a miraculous work of God's Holy Spirit. The language here would draw the Matthew's readers in particular, as he's writing mostly to Hebrews, this would appeal to them right back to Genesis chapter one, where the spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis one during that powerful work of creation. And so that picture comes here too, that the, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity will hover over Mary and powerfully bring about the conception of the son of God in her womb. This will be the work of God. And of course, Gabriel continues and he says, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Divinity will take on humanity. And this will be the clear and unmistakable work of God himself. It'll be a miracle. God will do it. Nothing is impossible with him. This is really hard for us to understand, isn't it? Simpleton that I am, this is pretty hard to understand. It's mysterious. It's mysterious. We don't like mystery, but this is good. Because sometimes God draws a veil of mystery over his work and he just calls us to be content with it. But it's true because his word says it's true. Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary of Luke shares the story of a newly ordained preacher and his young wife. They were having some issues as lots of new married couples do. And they vowed from that moment forward to be more considerate of one another. She promised not to be so critical of his quote, sleep inducing sermons. And he promised to respect her privacy by not looking through her dresser drawers. Well, they were true to their words. 
true to their words, and the marriage went smoothly. However, after 50 years, their children threw a huge party for their parents. They received many gifts, and now they were there back in their bedroom, putting the gifts away that evening. And the preacher noticed that his wife left one of the dresser drawers slightly open. Boy, it caught him. All these years of not looking, he tried, but he couldn't resist. And so he looked in the drawer and he found three eggs, three chicken eggs and $10,000 in cash. <laughs> Guys, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, like, wouldn't you just be like, what? What's going on here? So puzzled, he had to admit he got in there and he asked his wife about it. And, oh, she said, you remember years ago when we promised to be more considerate of each other and I promised to stop criticizing your boring sermons? Well, instead, every time that you preached a real snoozer, I put an egg in the drawer. Instead of criticizing you, I put an egg in the drawer. Boy, he stood up straight. He felt really good about himself. 50 years of sermons, he said, and only three snoozers, only three eggs. But wait a minute, where'd all that money come from? Very quietly, she said, every time I got a dozen eggs, I sold them. <laughs> you see, sometimes it's just better not to know. It really is sometimes. It's better to just not know. Sometimes God puts us into that position and he does it here with regard to Jesus's conception. It's a miracle, a miracle that is over and again confessed by the true church. It's in our creeds. It's a miracle that's mocked and even scorned by a lost and dying and sinful world. But it is nevertheless the miraculous redemptive work that Christians are called to cling to with all of our faith. It is an essential of the Christian faith. If we deny the virgin birth, we end up denying the very Christian faith itself. If we deny the virgin birth, we deny the Christian faith itself. That brings us to our fourth and final point this morning, Mary's response. We see it in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, we're told that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Boy, Mary has this kind of assurance, doesn't she? She raises no objections. She does not hold out for an easier calling. She does not ask God for any further explanation of what might happen if she says yes. No, once she hears what God is doing, it's enough. It's enough for her. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary trusts God, even when it seems impossible. Mary goes on, she calls herself the servant, which literally is bondservant or slave, right? She's the, the slave of God. Mary is offering to God humble, trusting, and submissive obedience. 
She's being given a great honor. But let us not forget that to embrace the truth being revealed to Mary, to fully accept and fulfill what would happen to her by her saying yes, it meant that Mary had to be willing to give up just about everything. She had to be willing to give up just about everything she knew and everything she loved. Think about this. She had to be willing to give up her future husband, Joseph. For how in the world could he continue to consent to take her as his wife if she was pregnant with a child that wasn't his own? We know the answer to that, right? We know that Gabriel also goes to him and says, hey, guess what? I'm up to something. But again, put yourself back in this scenario when Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. Mary had to be willing to give up her reputation. One can only imagine what would be said about her in Nazareth. Imagine how juicy the gossip of this pregnancy would be. And let us remember that Mary had to be willing to give up her own life as well. For if you go and read Deuteronomy 33, according to the Old Testament law, this is, could be seen as adultery. And the penalty would be death, according to the law. Of course, we know that Mary would face other trials as well from Jesus's birth in Bethlehem to his death in Jerusalem, even one day having her own children and raising her own children, all the things that she endured. But even with all that before her, she makes the good confession. She makes the good confession. In fact, perhaps this is the first Christian confession in the New Testament scriptures. Let it be to me according to your word. I believe in you, God, and I believe in what you're doing through your Messiah. Let it be to me according to your word. That is an amazing response. That is a remarkable response. So I'll land the plane and ask you this. Do you believe that all things are possible with God? Do you believe that all things are possible with God. Do you truly believe that what he has promised to do, he will most surely bring it to fulfillment? As we think about all of God's promises, just think in your mind for a minute, what are all the things that God has promised to us in his word? He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He won't hold our sins against us. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we walk through the various trials of this life, he'll be right there with us. He'll bring us safely to glory when we leave this life. When you think of all of these and many more, do you have the simple childlike faith of Mary to not only ask how, because that's a good question. How, God? But do you also have faith to say, let it be to me according to your word? Mary said these words in the face of this surprising, miraculous pregnancy. You're called this morning to say those words in the face of your own surprising circumstances, whatever they are. So let me encourage you. 
that the one whom we celebrate this Christmas season, the one who indeed is the son of the most high, Jesus, the one who came to save his people from their sins, this Jesus in whom we have believed and in whom we have received everlasting life, this Jesus is great and he will greatly do his work both in you and and for you by his spirit living within you. He will transform you more and more into his image. So whatever is gonna happen today, tomorrow, the days to come, my heart's cry, my prayer for each and every one of you, what I hope you hear from me is the same thing I hear from you. Let it be to me according to your word, O God. Amen and amen.